Well, good morning. How are we doing today? All right. Somebody's alive over here. How's this side doing? How's everybody over here? Are we good? All right. We're great. Thank you, Mr. Baker. That is awesome. Good to hear from you. Um, Great to be with you this morning, excited to, to worship with you, so thankful for Nathan leading us today. Um, if you're new to LifePoint this morning, we're extremely privileged to have you with us today, uh, and we're excited to start a brand new series called Ordinary People, looking at how we are our servants. And so as we begin this series, um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I fall into this trap in, in reading the Bible. Um, the trap that I fall into is I will, I will read the Bible and I look at all the people that, that God worked through and I think I could never be like them, right? They're the, they're the smartest of the smart. They're the super spiritual. They're the brightest of, of the bright and those who are the most talented of, of the group are the strongest of, of the strong. And as a result, I tend to think, well, I could never be like them that God would never use me like that, that there's no way I could and just kind of fill in the, the blank there. But what I, I miss so many times is that God used people all throughout the Bible who were broken, who were normal, who were sinful, who, whose lives were, were train wrecks, those who were unskilled and unlearned and unworthy and unknown, which sounds a lot like me and, and my life at, at times. And the truth is this, that all throughout the scriptures, God worked in and through ordinary people just like you and me. And that's really our big idea for this series. Our heart behind this whole series is that God uses ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. That God uses ordinary people just like you and I to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. Purposes, And so I'm going to do something right up front. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. I'm going to let you know that exactly what we're after today. My prayer coming into this series and for us today is this, is that the Holy Spirit stirs in you the desire, the need, and the call to jump in and start serving to advance God's kingdom. I'm going to say that again. My, my prayer for this series and my prayer for us today is that the Holy Spirit begins to stir in you a desire and a need and a call for you to start serving and advance God's, God's kingdom. There it is right up front, just letting you know what we're talking about today. And in looking at that, each week what we're going to do is we're going to look at biblical figures who appeared minimally in the scriptures but had a mighty impact. And in many ways, the characters we're going to be looking at through the scriptures, they're the supporting characters that God uses to advance his purposes in significant ways. So that's kind of our, our framework for, for this series. And so I want to jump in with you. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to pit stop on, on kind of three big passages of scripture today. And at the end, we're going to look at a wonderful example from scripture based on what we're talking about here. And so I'd encourage you, go ahead Follow along in your Bible, follow along in your Bible app, and as always, you can uh, track with us through the LifePoint app under the notes section. There we'll have all the scripture verses, even a spot for you to take your own notes and email it to yourself later. But here's the deal as we jump in this morning. If we're going to realize that God uses ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary purposes, which includes you and I, I think it's important to know right off the bat who we are and what we're called to do. Who we are and what we're called to do. And in Ephesians chapter two, 
the Apostle Paul reminds us of this very thing. That's where we're going to start, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It's there the Apostle Paul writes that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive in Christ. Right? He goes on to say in verses 8 and 9, for we have been, it's by grace we've been saved through, through faith, that it's not of anyone's own doing. It's a gift of God and it's a, not a result of works so that no one would, would boast about it. Here in these first three verses in Ephesians 2, Paul reminds those who have come to a relationship with Jesus, he reminding, he's reminding Christians of who they used to be before coming to Jesus. And he says, hey, it wasn't so long ago that, that sin just covered our lives, that we were like the walking dead because of sin in our lives, that we were exiles or separated from God because of our sin. And we used to let the, the world tell us how, how to live, but the world really has no idea how we, we should be living. But as a result, we filled our, our lives with unbelief, and that unbelief resulted in living disobediently towards, towards God. And we've all lived that way. We lived doing what we felt like doing and doing it when we felt like doing it. This is who someone is before they come to know Jesus. This is who Christians used to be. But Paul goes on to say, here's who we now are. He says, hey, good thing God didn't lose his temper with us and just do away with us. He was overflowing with mercy towards us and he had irresistible love towards us and he embraced us and he took all of our sin, he took our dead bodies and he made us alive in Christ now. He says now God has us in Christ right where he wants us and he's showering us with grace and kindness that comes from our relationship with Jesus. And he tells us that, that being saved or coming to know Jesus was all God's work. That all we had to do was trust him. That we didn't have a hand in working our, our way there. It was God's gift from start to finish. That we don't play a major role in that. That if we did, he says, we'd probably just go around bragging about how we took care of everything ourselves. And as a result, the world doesn't make us, nor does the world save us. But God does the making and God does the saving. This is everything Paul is saying here in Ephesians. He's saying this is who we now are once we're in Jesus. And with this newness in mind, Paul says in verse 10, he says, we are his workmanship, created in, in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Everything Paul's tried to explain at the beginning of, of chapter 2 here comes to kind of a, a head in verse 10. And he says, telling us, this is who the new you is. This is the, the new me. And you need to know something. You need to know who you are, that you're God's workmanship, and that you need to know what God's called you to do, and it's good works. That you need to know who you are, you're God's workmanship, and you need to know what you've been called to do, which is good works. Now, this word workmanship is, is interesting. It begs us to spend a few moments on it. The word workmanship used here refers to something that is skillfully, artfully, and masterfully made. 
The Greek word used for workmanship here is where we get our English word poem from, which means it carries this idea that we are God's beautiful poem. The Jerusalem Bible translates the word workmanship as work of art. That means here, in other words, that in Christ, we are God's masterpiece, his work of art. Let me just stop there for a moment and ask us, is that how you think of yourself? Do you think of yourself that way? Do you think and see and view yourself today as someone whom God has skillfully and wonderfully and masterfully and artfully made? Do you see yourself as God's masterpiece today? If I'm honest, I can say most of the time, I don't view myself that way. I see myself with, with all of my faults and I see myself with, with all of my, my failures and my flaws. Paul is saying here, no more thinking that way. That seeing ourselves anything less than God's masterpiece, it actually devalues us and it devalues God's workmanship in our lives. But this thinking begs the question, why and how? How are we God's workmanship? Just how are you and I God's workmanship? Let me just share three quick ways. Number one, we're God's workmanship because he created us. Because he created us, right? And, and newsflash, in case you didn't know it, everything God creates has value. Yet nothing in creation compares to his work in creating human beings, you and I. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 in the Bible says, God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. This breath brought God's own life into his workmanship, into us. And as a result, human beings now possess a spirit, a soul, a life different than any other form of life on, on the planet. Furthermore, we're God's workmanship in that he intimate, he's intimately involved in creating every single human being. You say, how? Well, Psalm 139 in the Bible says, you have made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You've knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was ever born. And every day of my life was recorded in your book, and every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. We are God's workmanship because he has created us, and he is intimately involved in weaving us together in our mother's womb. Number two, we, we are his workmanship because he has redeemed us. That's what Paul has just spent some time describing in Ephesians chapter 2. That from the moment sin entered the world, right, God put into motion his plan to redeem and restore us. And that plan culminated in Jesus Christ, his one and only son, coming to this earth to take our place, to die for our sin on the cross, and for Jesus to rise from the grave three days later. Therefore, we're God's workmanship because it cost him something. We're redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Right? That's why Paul says we are created in Christ Jesus when we become a Christian. This is why Jesus says coming to him is like being born again. It's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So we are God's workmanship because he created us, and we are God's workmanship because he redeemed us. 
And number three, we are God's workmanship because he sets us apart and prepares us for good works. That he sets us apart and he, and he sets us apart for good works. That God forms us and that he's got a purpose for our lives. That despite all of our imperfections, God knows exactly what he's doing. That he's continually molding us and he's continually shaping us. That we are his masterpiece that he continues to work on, sometimes through adversity, sometimes through relationships, sometimes through the challenges that life brings, but all to make us more and more like Jesus. This is a lifelong process, but God promises to finish it to finish the good work he started in our lives. This is how you and I are God's workmanship, created, redeemed, and set apart for good works. I, this challenges me in how I view myself. I don't know if it, if it challenges, challenges you. And I want to let you know today, our past doesn't define us, right? We, we have to remember in Christ we have value because of God's workmanship in our lives. And as a result, Paul says, in Christ Jesus, and he's prepared you for good works that you should walk in those things. In other words, what Paul is saying, God doesn't just save us to save us from the punishment of sin. He saves us with a purpose in mind. He saves us to make something beautiful of us. That salvation in Jesus is not the end. It's the beginning for you and I. That we're not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. That we're not saved faith plus works, but we are saved with a faith that leads us to good works. That good works are not the price of our salvation, but our good works are the proof of our salvation. Therefore, being created for good works means you and I are to be active for God. That we're to be on the move for God. That he doesn't want us sitting on the sidelines being passive spectators. That he wants us to be active participants in his work and what he's doing. And listen, it's more than just doing for doing's sake. It's more than just serving for, for serving's sake. Don't miss this. The good works that we're called to, the service that we're called to, it's part of who you and I are becoming. It's part of who you and I are becoming in Christ, right? Don't miss that today. That sometimes we look at, at serving and good works as just it's labor and it's works and it's far more than it's part of who we're becoming in Christ. And Paul takes this thought and he develops it a little bit further in Romans chapter 12. It's there he says this, he says, for we are as in one body have many members and the members don't all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individual members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace that's been given to us. And he says, let us Use them, And he goes on to describe some specific gifts that the Lord has given. So not only are we God's workmanship, not only are we created for good works, but here in Romans 12, we see this, that God has a role for you and I to play. That God has a role for you to play. That, that as a Christian, everyone plays a part in being the body of Christ. And just like the human body has, has various parts that make up the whole, you and I make up the whole of Christ's body. And again, just like in a human body, if a part or a piece of our, our body is missing, it means something's incomplete. And sometimes it means something's unhealthy. That individual body parts, right, they, they can't find their meaning on their own, they, and neither can we. 
We find that meaning when we come together as part of the whole. And what's interesting is Paul lays all this down. He says it in Ephesians 2, and he says it here in Romans again. He says, in Christ Jesus, we're called to good works. He says, in Christ Jesus, we are part of one body. Notice both those happen in Christ Jesus. Here's what that means. It means our call to good works, and it means our call to action is actually a response to what Jesus has done for us, that it's a response to the gospel, that it's a response to being made alive, and that it's a response to being part of his body. This means every Christian, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're married, whether you're unmarried, male, female, educated, uneducated, your upbringing differs, your background differs, whatever it, me- whatever it is, it means individually and collectively, each of us have a role to play together. And I really think one of the best examples of all of this that we've been talking about so far comes out of Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah's in the Old Testament, and so if, if you want to flip back there, go ahead and you can flip to Nehemiah chapter 3 with me. And as you're, you're turning there or finding it in your Bible app, uh, let me give us a little bit of context and background to Nehemiah chapter 3 here. In Nehemiah chapter 3, what's happened to the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel has been attacked by the Babylonians, they've been defeated, and they've been carried off into to, to exile. Jerusalem, which was this once beautiful place, this once beautiful city, got a picture of it here for you, right? There's Jerusalem with this amazing wall around it with city gates and city towers. Well, when the Babylonians came, man, they destroyed all of this. They tore it all to the ground. They burnt it to the ground. It was just uh, uh, in shambles and, and a rubble. And they took those, the Jewish people off um, back to Babylon, exiled them. But after the Babylonians did this, the Persians rise up to power. The Persians defeat the Babylonians, right? In doing so, the Persians absorb all that the Babylonians had previously conquered and all of the people that they had previously conquered, including the nation of Israel. But the Persians do something different. They wind up letting the nation of Israel go. They allow the Jewish people to go back home to Jerusalem. Well, as the people come back to Jerusalem, they do what we would think they would do. They try to rebuild their city. They try to rebuild their culture and their their society. But the overall progress was extremely slow and disappointing. Well, Nehemiah, the guy who, who wrote this book of the Bible, right, he was a Jewish man living in Persia at the time. He was the cupbearer to the king. And he receives the discouraging news that that Jerusalem is in shambles and that the work is not going well, most notably that the city wall laid in waste. Nehemiah is overcome with with emotion and he, he sets out to go home and to rebuild the wall and to rebuild the city. Well, Nehemiah goes to the king and in amazing fashion, he gets permission from the Persian king to go. He gets an armed transport from the king and he even gets supplies to go rebuild the wall from from the king. And once Nehemiah is in in Jerusalem, Nehemiah all of a sudden provides leadership and and vision and organization and, and instruction to the people to start rebuilding the wall and the city gates. And what happens in Nehemiah chapter three is riveting an an unbelievable example of God's people, those who are called to good works, those who are called to play an active role, all coming together to accomplish the extraordinary in advancing God's purposes. 
Now, we can't read all of this chapter. Some of you are like, thank goodness, please don't read the whole chapter. I have lunch to get to today, right? But let me highlight a few passages for us in, in this chapter. And there's some tough names in here, all right, y'all? I spent like four hours working on just how to pronounce names this week, so we're going to give it a go, okay? Here we go, verse 1 in chapter 3. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it. And they set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and as far as the Tower of Hananel, right? Here, what we have, we have the priests who are the leaders of the people. And they begin to show and model servant leadership in rebuilding the wall. They begin to get their hands dirty. They tell the people, hey, we're going to jump in the trenches with you. We're going we're gonna to lead the way. We're going we're gonna to model what we're supposed to do together. And they begin to, to build this wall. And then in verse 2, it says, Next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachur, the son of Imri, built. What we're going to see all throughout chapter 3 is people side by side, together, laboring and, and working with, with one another. Verse 8 says this, The goldsmiths repaired a portion of the wall. Next to the goldsmiths, the perfumers repaired and restored the wall. This is amazing to me, right? The goldsmiths, the, the iron workers go to work on the wall. We would expect that, right? But it says the perfumers worked right next to them. Iron workers and the people like, hey, I make perfume, right? That's great. They jump in. And they decide, you know what, we'll, and, and talk about intimidating work. This was probably the most intimidating pairing, right? Like the perfumers working ne right next to the goldsmiths and the iron workers. That's, that's crazy. You're like, okay, what are you guys doing? Great, we'll just do that too, okay? You smell, we'll make you smell better. Here you go. Here's some perfume, okay? Right? Verse 10 says, next to them, Judea, the son of Harumath, repaired opposite his house. I think that's amazing. Opposite his house. It's important to take note of. There was personal investment. The city, the wall, the, the portion that, that was destroyed was right across from, from their homes. Therefore, they were personally invested in everything getting rebuilt. And we see the same thing as we walk through in verses 23 and 28 and 29. It says, opposite their house and opposite their house and beside their house and beside their house, there was a personal investment in the work that was going on. Next to him, in verse 12, it says, Shalom, the son of Haloesh, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. I, I, I love this, right? Here we have a local ruler, right? We have a local ru ruler, and then we have his daughters who start to build. Not only do we see a parent modeling this this leadership and this servanthood to his kids, but women had an active role, an equal role, an important part in rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. Parents leading the, the next generation. How amazing is that? Modeling it for them. In, in verse 18, it says, the brothers repaired a portion of the wall. In, in verse 22, it says, the men of the, the surrounding area repaired the wall. In verses 26 and, and 32, it says, Temple servants and local business owners repaired the wall. The diversity of people 
the diversity of backgrounds. Nehemiah chapter 3, ordinary people all throughout the pages here. Different backgrounds, different socioeconomic levels, different ages, different genders, different skill sets, different educations. People, now don't miss this, people we never read about again in the entire Bible accomplished the extraordinary for God. Think about this for a moment. This wall was in shambles. It was burnt to the ground. But God's people came together, ordinary people, average everyday people. And in just 52 days, Nehemiah says, they rebuilt the city wall and the gates. They did the extraordinary for God's kingdom. And you say, well, that's great, 52 days. What does that mean? Well, let me put this picture in your mind. The wall of Jerusalem, the city gates and the towers measured somewhere between two to two and a half miles long. There were 10 gates, there were eight towers, and it averaged 40 feet in height. And they accomplished it in 52 days, right? If we were to read on, some of the folks worked because there were enemies trying to to tear down their works. Some of them worked with a sword in one hand and bricks and mortar in in the other. Can you imagine that they worked one-handed? But God's people came together. Nehemiah chapter three shows us ordinary people seeing a need and jumping in to fill that need. This whole chapter is a beautiful picture of God's people, his workmanship being called to good works. Many parts making up the whole together. What we see in in Nehemiah chapter three is that it takes all of us and sometimes we need to just jump in. That it takes all of us and sometimes we, we need to just jump in. It's true that God gives us individual gifts for specific purposes and and specific um, things to do, but it's also true that sometimes we just got to jump in and that we just got to lock arms with our our brother or sister right next to us and and start getting to work together. I mean, when you think about this, what did a a priest and a, a Levite and a perfumer and a local official, what did young men and young women and older men and older women, what did most of these ordinary people know about reconstructing a wall? Most likely nothing, but they just jumped in and they took part and did extraordinary things for the Lord. Now, here's the deal. How how do we piece all of this together today? Well, as you leave today, I, I hope you take three things with you. Number one, I hope you begin to see yourself as God's masterpiece, that you see yourself as, as God's workmanship. And if you, if you are, that means you are an image bearer, right? That means you're now to reflect the image of God or the image of Christ to those around you. The old you is gone, the new you in Jesus has come. Your identity is now in, in him. Some of us sitting here today just desperately need to hear that, to walk away with that, and to understand that, and to accept that into our lives, that that is an amazing truth, that you are God's masterpiece. Number two, our service and our good works are more than just works or doing something, that it's actually part of who we're becoming, that we're becoming more and more like Jesus when we, we serve. And part of that becoming is to walk in the good works that we've been called to do, that we're to jump in and be an active part of the the body of Christ, that we're to play a role in bringing part of God's kingdom, his heaven to earth in serving. And we must honor that process. Number three, just like those repairing the wall, it takes everyone. 
side by side, locking arms in authentic community together. Many hands making light work, ordinary people called to good works, doing extraordinary things, advancing God's kingdom and his purposes. Now I want to let you know, go back to where we started. I let the cat out of the bag at the beginning, right? I said, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit stirs in you the desire and the need and the call to jump in and start serving to advance God's kingdom. So here's the application and the challenge for us today. Where do you need to jump in? Where do you need to jump in? And if I could, if I could be so bold as to say, where do you need to jump in right here at church? And now I can hear some of your thoughts already. Aha, I knew it. There you go, the pastor guy. He's always asking for something. And there it is, right? You're either gonna ask for my time or you're gonna ask for my money, right? Listen, not asking, not asking for something from you. I want you, I want you to hear this. We're not asking, God's not asking. I'm, I'm, God's not asking something from you when it comes to service. He's asking something for you. He's got something for you, for me, for us when we serve together. I want for us, I want, I want for you, I want for me, for us to shine as God's masterpiece, but we cannot shine sitting on the sidelines. I want for us to experience and seeing the good works that flows from our identity in Christ, that work is not the end result, sharing Christ is the end result. I want for us to jump in, to experience that authentic community, to experience impacting the next generation, to find meaning in our lives and being part of the entire body. I want for us to take part in bringing a little bit of heaven to earth while we're here. I want for us to see serving as part of who we're becoming in Christ. I want for us to be image bearers who reflect God in our service. Listen, we're not building a wall like Nehemiah did, but we are trying to build something right here in Plain City. We are trying to advance God's kingdom around the area right here, whether that's West Jeff or, or London or Plain City right where we're at. But we're trying to advance God's kingdom in the area. We're, we're trying to be part of God's purposes in this area. We're trying to grow something special that's right in front of and right beside and right opposite our houses here. In doing so, it's gotta start right, within, right inside our walls. That you, me, and we, we have this opportunity to build a strong, healthy, thriving church. We've just started this thing back in, in April and God has richly, richly blessed us. But we are trying to build something right here together with one another to advance God's kingdom. We can, and I just want to say this, we're never going to be able to be who we are and who we're supposed to be outside of these walls until, until we become who we're called to be inside of them. It starts right here. So here's the ask. I'm gonna make an ask today. This is way outside my comfort zone, but I'm just letting you know. Somewhere near a seat next to you is a card that looks just like this. This is a, a life team card, and you're like, what's a life team? Life teams are what are, we call our teams that serve. Go ahead, if it's near you, go ahead and grab one of those and just, just take a look at it. I love the back. We've been talking about it. it takes all of us, right? 
Life teams are how we serve our kids and our students and our greeters and on tech and, and a life group, if you're a life group leader or, or worship up on the, on the stage. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to think quickly and now before you leave today about filling out this card and turning it in to be part of what God's doing right here at our campus, right? And you might sit there and go, well, I'm not sure, I don't know, well, there's all these things. I, I, what, what if I don't find the right area? Listen, I want you to jump anyways. I want you to put your name down and I want you to jump anyways because I want to let you know this. We're going to train you. We're going to celebrate you. We're going to challenge you. You won't be alone. You're going to lock arms with some folks. We're going to put you alongside some amazing people. We only ask folks to serve twice a month and you're not going to miss out on anything because at nine o'clock we do a service just for all the people that are, are serving here. So you're not going to miss anything either. But as you're looking at that card and as you're thinking about it, I know those excuses are, are coming and why you couldn't and why you shouldn't, but we want you to jump in. I liken it to this. I remember when my boys were little and we took them to the pool for the first time. And, and we, want, we brought them to the edge and we wanted them to jump in to the water. And they had their floaties on and they looked all cute and they weren't talking back to us back then, all that good stuff, Right? And they were at the edge, right, and they wouldn't do it. So what did, what did we do? We did what every good parent does, right? I got in the water, and I got in the water, and I encouraged them, come on, you, you can do it. You can do it, right? And I looked at them, and I said, it's okay, son, jump. I'll catch you. It's okay, I, I can't, I'll catch you. And they would come, they'd be like, okay, and they'd get ready to start, and then they'd back up again, and then they'd come, and they'd back up again, and they probably cried a little bit, all that good stuff. But I would sit there and be like, I'm going to catch you. It's going to be okay, right? The pool was huge. The water was deep. I'm sure it was scary. But you know what happened. You already know the end of the story. They eventually jumped. And not only did their dad catch them, just like he said he would, but they loved it. All of a sudden, a whole new world opened up, a whole new world to explore and to have fun in and to grow in, right? The same thing goes when it comes to serving. Sometimes we just got to jump in and take that step. And you might be scared or you might be apprehensive or you might have, have doubts. But let me just tell you this, your heavenly father is waiting for you with outstretched arms. And he's saying, go ahead, jump. I'll catch you. And when you do, when you make that jump, he'll not only grab you and he'll not only hold on to you, but you'll begin to experience the joy and the good works that he's prepared for you. You were created, you were wired, and you were gifted for this. And you have a chance to join in God's activity right here at our campus. But it takes all of us. So I want to ask you, jump in, fill this card out, Head to one of the tables there in the back before you leave and just turn it in and we'll be in touch with, with some, some next steps. But here's what I want to say as we close up right now. I want to encourage you through your serving to bring a little bit of heaven to this earth. I think it, it doesn't take much for us to look around right now and say this earth needs a little bit more of a heavenly influence on it. And you could play a role in that. I want to remind you that you are God's workmanship and in Christ Jesus you are created for good works that God uses the ordinary people just like you and I to accomplish his extraordinary purposes 
and through service, we have a chance to build God's kingdom right here and right now, making a difference in a very dark world for our Heavenly Father. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. And God, I pray that we would see we are, we are your masterpiece. That's so hard for us sometimes, but because of your work in our lives, what, what Christ has done, God, you, you, you have made us a masterful, a masterful piece of artwork in your hands. Lord, I ask that, that we would lean into how you're shaping us and how you're working on us and how you're creating us today. And Lord, in that, I pray that we would see how you've called us to good works, how you've called us to be part of your body, how you've called us to serve. And Lord, that, um, yes, we want to start here within our church, but then we want that to bleed over and just make a huge impact on everyone outside of this church. But we're starting here today, Lord. Help us to take a jump. Help us to make a difference for, for you. And God, I, I pray for someone sitting here today, maybe, maybe there's someone sitting here and goes, gosh, you talked a lot about being a Christian. You talked a lot about being in Christ, this Jesus thing. I don't, I don't know what, what that is. I'm not, not quite sure how you, you got there with all of that. Well, if that's you today, and I, I just, I just want to let you know that Jesus Christ came to die for your sins, that your sins have separated you from, from God, just like my sins separated from me, from God, and to come this point in time when we realize that we need forgiveness for those sins. And so today, if you want to experience this, this Jesus thing, if you want to be in Christ, if you want your sins forgiven, if you want the promise of eternal life, if you're like, I want to join this, this body thing that you were talking about, I want to find meaning and, and purpose in my, my life right now, and I don't know how to do that, well, you can do that right where you're seated. You can say right now, Jesus, you know what? As much as I can and with all that I know, I'm going to put my faith and trust in you today that I'm asking you for forgiveness of my sins. I'm asking Jesus that you just kind of come into my life, this, this new creation thing, this born again thing that, that this guy was just talking about. I, I, I don't get it all, but I want that for my life. I want to find out who I am, who you made me to be. And Lord, I want to make a difference for you in this world. So God, whatever you got to do, do in me right now, I'm inviting you in so that you would change my life so that I could be in Christ. You can do that right where you're, you're seated today and I promise you it'll be the best decision you will ever make because not only will your sins be forgiven, not only will you find purpose, not only will you find meaning, but you will have the gift of eternal life with God one day that you are no longer separated from him. That you can experience a personal relationship with him starting right now, today. So Lord, as we close this morning, I just ask that your hand would be upon this campus and that you would work in a mighty way just like the people in Nehemiah 3 were diverse and came from all different places and different backgrounds. God, that's us sitting here right now. And so help us to be, be part of your kingdom movement and your activity right here in Plain City and all the surrounding area. Lord, grow us, make us who you want us to be. Would it be done for your glory and for your kingdom and for your work, we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.